Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. By Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused, with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. By RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, on the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, iTunes, Spotify. When you Google Speaking of Travel, you'll find us. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and travel stories that will warm your heart and remind you to live life to the fullest. Your travel experiences and the connections you make along the way are what really matter most. And there's no time like right now to look around and imagine where you want to go next and meet some new friends. I made a new friend last year after I received a book in the mail called The Coca-Cola Trail. I immediately contacted the author, Larry Jorgensen, to be my guest on Speaking of Travel, and we had a great time, and I learned so much. So I wanted him to come back and tell us more about the time he spent interviewing Coca-Cola families and conducting research in current and former Coca-Cola communities and write this fascinating book. And there's some new news from Larry, and I'm looking forward to finding out more. Larry, welcome to Speaking of Travel. Thank you, Marilyn. It's good to be back again. And yes, we have have done a lot of new Coca-Cola exploring since the last time we talked. Uh, have visited some interesting communities uh, since then and would love to share them with, with your listeners. That would be really great. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Larry, and why you decided to research and, and write this book. Well, I'm, I'm an old, as I say, I'm an old news dog, radio, TV, print, the whole works. And uh, I, I got interested. I was doing a little freelance travel writing and uh, got interested in the fact that there was 
some interesting Coca-Cola history in two towns nearby. And I thought, well, I would just do a travel feature on those two towns, and uh, one being Vicksburg, the other being Monroe, Louisiana. Um, I got into it, and I said, no, this is a book. It's all over the country. You know, Vicksburg, which was the first chapter in the first book, is known because it's the first place Coca-Cola was ever bottled. And there is, in your travels, a restored building there. It was a soda fountain and a candy store where the owner, in fact, bottled Coca-Cola on his own for the first time. Coca-Cola owner thought, the, the you know, the people that were making the syrup thought bottling was really a dumb idea. And it wasn't until five years later that they authorized, really approved of, bottling Coca-Cola. And they still thought it was a dumb idea. Took them a while to catch on to our mobile society and how we like to take our drinks with us. Absolutely. But I, I'm fascinating that, uh, fascinating that it was first a soda fountain drink. Is that what it was? And then they, five years later, bottled it? Right. The, the gentleman that uh, did the first bottling, uh, Joe Biedenhorn in Vicksburg, he owned a soda fountain and a candy operation. And he also distributed the Coca-Cola syrup to other soda fountains and drugstores in the area. So he was getting a pretty good quantity of the syrup. And, uh, you know, he thought, if I could bottle this, I mean, this was Vicksburg in the late 1890s. He said, I could, the people in the country could come enjoy this too. I could get it out to them. So he bought an old secondhand bottling operation out of St. Louis and started bottling it. His first two cases he sent to Atlanta to Mr. Candler, who was making the syrup. And, and, he, and Mr. Candler wrote him back and said, well, it's okay. But, you know, he wasn't too excited about it. And, and Joe got a little upset because he never sent his bottles back, you know. But uh, so he went on and did it for four or five years. Uh, there was one other place that also did it, and it was a similar situation, Valdosta, Georgia, where a, um, a little bottler there who was doing, you know, sarsaparilla and orange and all that stuff, bought some of the syrup from his local soda fountain, and he tried bottling it. So those two places, um, one five years before and one three years before, were actually bottling Coca-Cola before Coca-Cola said, yeah, go ahead and do it, but we think it's a dumb idea. Um, they sold. Now, would you like to have been an investor? They ultimately sold the rights to bottle Coca-Cola throughout the United States to two young entrepreneurs from Chattanooga. They sold those rights for one dollar. What? And, and and Candler told him when he sold it, he said, this is a dumb idea. And if it doesn't work, don't come back crying to me. In fact, he termed bottling of Coca-Cola sort of a, back, a backyard idea. He, he oh, my goodness. Well, Larry, what do you think contributed to, to that early growth and, that, and the popularity? Well, you know, these two gentlemen from Chattanooga go back to Chattanooga after getting the rights to bottle 
throughout the United States, except Mississippi, where that was Joe was doing it. And uh, they between the two of them, they had like $1,500, you know, and they, they said, now, how are we in the world going to do this? Well, the light came on. They said, wait a minute. They, they started their own little bottling plant. Uh, but they said, you know, we've got the rights. Let's start selling the rights, sell territories. So if you're in Paducah and you want a bottle of Coca-Cola, they'll sell you the territory, 50-mile 50, 50 radius for $1,500 or whatever. There was a little catch to that because they were called the parent bottlers because they had the rights to the United States. They were selling territory. But when they sold the territory, the, part of it was you had to absolutely use the Coca-Cola syrup in bottling to maintain the, the taste. Well, the, the whole uh, gimmick on that was that uh, these two gentlemen in Chattanooga would get a commission on every gallon of syrup that was sold to the bottlers that they had just set up. So they had an ongoing source of income throughout the life of that, that bottling business. I'll be darned. They were quite the savvy entrepreneurs, wouldn't you say? I would say so. And that, to answer your question in a roundabout way, that's really what led to the growth of Coca-Cola. You've got a product that people have invested in all across the country. Maybe their last $1,500, and they've put a lot of effort and Marketing, it was a different drink. No one had ever tasted anything like Coca-Cola. Uh, there were places, you know, where they would take the, the beverage to a store to sell and, and they'd try it and they'd say, we don't think this is going to go. So there was a lot of marketing on these young entrepreneurs to get people to try Coca-Cola and to finally agree that it had a wonderful taste. And that's really how the business got started. Uh, you know, later on, much later on, Coca-Cola realized the value in bottling and later canning. And uh, that's the nucleus of Coca-Cola today is the bottling and canning. Well, Larry, when we come back, I want to talk about, uh, I mean, Coca-Cola is very unique, as as you were saying. It's very unique in in how it began and, and the direction that it took. But it's also really unique in the design. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about the history of that and the creation and how that helped with their marketing overall. Yeah, that'll be fun. The Coca-Cola bottle is as unique as the drink. Larry, I am so looking forward to it. I'm here with Larry Jorgensen. He is here talking about Coca-Cola, the history, his book, and some new news. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready to plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. Fall is here, making this the perfect time to explore all the many safe and memorable adventures found across western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. 
Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars Welcome back In to Speaking words, of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm oh here today with Larry Jorgensen. He has an incredible story of the Coca-Cola business. He's conducted interviews. He's written uh, a number of, well, certainly you've written one book. You're going to tell us a little bit of good news today, right, Larry? Right. Well, I'm excited. When when we were talking before, you you gave us a history of the bottle and, and how these guys had to really get into their marketing efforts. But let's talk a little bit about the design, because that's such a big part of the history of this company. Well, in the early 1900s, there were a lot of people that saw what was happening with the success of Coca-Cola. So right away, there's knockoffs. There's this cola, there's churro cola, there's all kinds of colas. And there, in those days, it was bottled in whatever bottle you could find. Consequently, the consumer was becoming very confused as to what is Coca-Cola and what isn't. So the Coca-Cola Corporation in 1905 put out a competition invitation to the glass makers, the bottle makers in the country. They said, we want a unique bottle that is Coca-Cola. There were five companies that answered the call. One of them in Terre Haute, Indiana, the Root Glass Company, produced the bottle that was ultimately decided as the Coca-Cola bottle. And uh, it, it, that was in 1905 that the decision was made. The bottle actually went into use in 1906. Uh, an interesting story, which I have in the new book, the, the uh, second Coca-Cola Trail book, is why the bottle was tinted green. You know, the original Coca-Cola bottles were had this green tint to them. Well, it turns out that the Root Glass Company in Terre Haute, Indiana, that was making the bottle, were getting their, their uh, sand to make the, the glass from a, a quarry nearby that they owned, about 50 miles away, that had certain chemical uh, mixtures in the sand. And that resulted in the green tint. It was a, a natural from some copper and other minerals. Coca-Cola liked it so well that later on, when other glass companies were licensed to produce the bottle, they told them, if, in fact, you do not have this these minerals in your uh, sand, then you must add that color because we like the color. And it was strictly because of a natural thing that happened in Indiana that produced that glass and that bottle. Um, the bottle, it's a bottle, you pick it up, you know it's a Coca-Cola bottle. And a, there are bottle collectors all over the country that collect the bottles. You, you know, the old bottles they used to put on the bottom, uh, the name of the town where it was bottled. And of course, the the fewer bottles that came from that town, uh, the more rare that bottle is. Um, the, the competition, an interesting story on that, the competition, which was held in 1905, there were five entries. Each of them had five prototypes. 
Well, after the competition, they were to destroy the prototypes, except the winning bottle, which was the root bottle. One of them went to the Coca-Cola archives, and another one survived mysteriously. A year ago, that bottle, and it has a date, 1905 on it, so we know it was a prototype. That bottle surfaced for auction in California, and it went for $150,000. Oh, my goodness. The, the actual bottles that went into production had the 1906 date on them. So that's what made it very unique and one of only five ever made. That is an amazing story. And let's talk a little bit about that because you want, uh, what I love about your book is, and I can't wait to see your new book, which congratulations, you did mention, and I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it, is all these photos that you have, they're fascinating and they it's like you went all around and you found it. We all know when we take a road trip, there's always these stores that have all this Coca-Cola memorabilia. And as a marketing person, such a brand, you know, a brand that has lived so long. Talk a little bit about these old country stores and, and what you could find there. Well, it's obviously the most collected brand in the world. And consequently, these old Coca-Cola signs, the bottles, anything that has Coca-Cola on it, you'll find in, in these old country stores, the vending machines, for example. Some of the vending machines go for several thousand dollars because maybe they were made only in limited production and then a new one came along and it was better. Um, so the Coca-Cola collectors sort of had created this market and the, the, the country stores uh, will seek out Coca-Cola memorabilia to attract people who, who are not only collectors, but are just fascinated by the name Coca-Cola. It has a following like no other brand has. And uh, it, it is really, no doubt, the, the most collected brand in the world. There are Coca-Cola collector clubs in Japan. Australia. I've had people from Australia buy the book because they are Coca-Cola collectors. Um, they're all over the world. How about that? That is absolutely amazing. So, Larry, tell us how we can, well, tell us a little bit about this new book. When is it coming out? Well, the new book is out as of two weeks ago, and it's called Return to the Coca-Cola Trail. There's an interesting chapter in there on Statesville, North Carolina, about a talented young lady who's a Coca-Cola mural painter. Um, and uh, just a lot of news stories, including the one I told you about the green, why is the bottle green? Uh, we also talk about the town that at one time had more Coca-Cola millionaires than any other town in the United States. So the books, either one, are still available at our website, thecocacolatrail.com. Uh, if you buy them both, you get a discount. But uh, take a look, see what you think. It's thecocacolatrail.com. Well, Larry, I can't wait to get on the Coca-Cola Trail, to be honest with you. I think we've all been cooped up a little bit too long, and it's time to get in our cars and do a really epic road trip and just go visit all the places you talk about in your book. It sounds like a wonderful adventure. 
And Larry, one more thing let's talk about. They obviously, all the people who came together in this company, they found each other. They couldn't have done it if they hadn't found Root, and they couldn't have done this if they hadn't been together. So it's like collaboration was a big part, partnering together, bringing others into the fold, which I think says a lot about the longevity of that company as well. Well, it still is today. The Coca-Cola bottlers, although they are less in number because of consolidation, they still meet, they get together, they plan, they market. Christmas is basically, you know, Santa Claus, I say, was kidnapped by Coca-Cola because they, in fact, invented, created, I guess is the word, the Coca-Cola image that we all know. Uh, the Coca-Cola image of Santa. So it's marketing. Christmas is coming up. You've got the Coca-Cola Santa. You've got the polar bears. You've got the trucks that come into the communities. At Christmas time, it's Coca-Cola memories. Well, I'll just put a little aside in. When I was growing up, there was a, uh, we had a stuffed Santa that was from Coca-Cola with his little arm out with a little Coca-Cola bottle in his little plastic hand. And years ago, the little bottle got lost, but that Santa comes out every Christmas, and it is old. (laughs) Well, when you see uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas, that wouldn't have happened if Coca-Cola hadn't come to the rescue and saved that particular series, which lives on. It all lives on. Well, Larry, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel. And tell us again how we can get more information and get our books and start dreaming of taking the Coca-Cola Trail. It's it's very easy. The Coca-ColaTrail.com. And you'll find all kinds of interesting Coca-Cola things along with the books at that site. Well, thank you, Larry. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to having you back on the show next year. You might even have more information to share with us. We love hearing about this company. Thank you, Marilyn. I enjoyed it as well. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. I can't tell you how fascinating it is to hear about how one big company is able to collaborate with others and build on its success. In these times of tight budgets and growing demands, Tourism destinations have looked for ways to share costs and their skills and their resources, all for mutual benefit. Coming up next is my guest, Mark Hollins, from RomanticAsheville.com, to provide some insight on the benefits of tourism partnerships. Stay tuned. The best way to feel the love is to share it. That's why Subaru created the Subaru Share the Love event. Over the last 12 years, Subaru has donated over $200 million to charity. This year, we're continuing the tradition. Right now, when you get a new Subaru, Subaru will donate $250 to your choice of charity partners. The ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, or the National Park Foundation. This year, Prestige Subaru welcomes Homeward Bound WNC and the Asheville Humane Society as our hometown charity partners. The Subaru Share the Love event. Now through January 4th at Prestige Subaru. Welcome to Subiville. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. 
You know, having spent a good portion of my career in the marketing world, I definitely recognize how the ability to reach audiences these days is a little more challenging. And that's why developing partnerships is essential to help attract awareness, excite interest, and educate travelers on what kind of changes are happening, especially in this new age of competition for tourism dollars. Today, the most successful companies build bridges, and collaborating is becoming more and more important. To find out more about tourism partnerships is my guest, Mark Collins, Partnerships Manager for RomanticAsheville.com. RomanticAsheville.com helps maximize tourism budgets by building strategic partnerships and combining marketing efforts into one coherent voice to provide greater strength, unity, and leverage results, which really will be more effectively able to market an entire destination when compared to individual efforts. And Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about something I'm so passionate about. I've spent my life, without even knowing it, building partnerships. I used to say I kept a Rolodex in my head until younger folks said, what's a Rolodex? So I have a giant database. As much as I talk, I listen. And I file everything away. And I'm forever matching up. So-and-so said that, and I know it's going to help this company move forward. And so putting those connections together, building that partnership, it's something that's very, it's very fulfilling. And again, I'm, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I think it's something unique that I bring to Romantic Asheville. Now, RomanticAsheville.com itself is an amazing partnership. It's a series of partnerships. It bridges gaps all across the industries of Western North Carolina, whether it's hospitality, restaurants, specific kind of lodgings, outdoor things to do, people planning weddings. It, it, it's, it fully encompasses all of that. And for us to be able to put folks together for our readers to have this great base to move forward, Everybody wins. It every it's win 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 win. Everybody wins. It's uh, it and it is all about strategic marketing. I don't see it as sales at all. I see it as this extraordinary marketing tool that I would be remiss if I didn't share it with those that need a helping hand. Well, give me an idea of how somebody comes into a partnership with RomanticAsheville.com? That is such a great question. We predate Facebook. So we have this extraordinary longevity in this particular industry. Because we have that, Google loves us and our Google analytics are extremely strong. And that's why we're such a great tool for our partners. Partners that are looking to join us come in a number of ways. Number one, word of mouth. We have folks moving here from other areas. And the reason they're moving here from other areas is because they researched what they might want to do when they were in Western North Carolina. And when they were researching what to do in Western North Carolina, their search naturally took them to romanticashville.com. 
So they keep that in mind when they're building their own business here. And they do want to be part of that bigger wheel. On the website itself, businesses go and they have the ability to send a request to me for a proposal. So that, that's another way. So it's word of mouth. It's from people using it in the past themselves. And it's business to business, which is the sweetest of all partnerships. When I think of people competing for tourist dollars, say in the restaurant world, it is a huge honor that a restaurant would tell another restaurant owner, oh my goodness, you really need to be in romanticashville.com because of the vast amount of people that look at it each and every day. So that's, uh, th those are some of the ways people find out about us. We don't do any marketing of the website itself. We haven't had the need. Um, we spend our efforts and our resources on marketing our individual partners or our partners as a whole. So really, this reliance on one another, all in the same industry, seeing each other as partners versus seeing each other as competitors is something that is very unique, uh, really in any industry, but especially in the travel industry. I agree, Marilyn. And it's so heartening that people are willing to see it as a partnership and willing to see it as not being competitive. There's always going to be competition. That competition is healthy because it keeps standards high. But when you see your fellow restaurateur or your fellow inn or hotel as a partner as opposed to a competitor, it takes it to a whole different level and it makes it an even playing field. It keeps everyone's standards high and it keeps it friendly. It's just, you switch out word from competitor to partner and it's, it's just, it's a different day and it's a, it's bright and shiny. I love it. I love it too. And we know that the climate that we're in right now is always unpredictable and a little bit challenging, but it sounds like being able to forge these partnerships, uh, to be able to see the resilience and the trust, the independence that is coming from all of these partners would give you uh, some hope and make you feel good. At the end of the day, that's exactly what it does. I do spend a fair amount of my day speaking with partners and non-partners uh, who are truly seeing challenging times. Uh, they don't know what's at the end of the tunnel. And that's just where we are in this moment. But there's this extraordinary love of how are we going to make it together that keeps it cohesive. It really puts the capital R in resilience because that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing and sharing wonderful stories of people pivoting on a dime. And they're going from doing this to doing that. And in doing so, they're recreating themselves. And a year ago, it wouldn't have happened. In my mind, it's keeping businesses young and fresh. So there's all this gold that's happening amidst all the turmoil of COVID-19 and, and where we're going with that. 
but I see in at the end of the day, I'm happy and joyful that it all it's all coming together and that there will be an end. And we're going, we're survivors. We'll survive and we're going to be stronger because of it. And I see that strength every day. And that that is telling and exciting and it helps carry through. And if I hear a story of resilience, I am so delighted to share it because it might just spark someone's idea of, I can do something like that. And it's all about, in this current climate, it's all about, I can do something like that. And again, not competitive, it's a partnership. I love that. So when when somebody goes to romanticashville.com, there's information there on what to do, what's open, the uh, and it's current, it's ever-changing, right, Mark? Yes, my dear friend and associate, Jen Brooks, who's our editor, does an amazing job. I don't think she sleeps uh, because our content changes daily. And we do have an up-to-date list. And that's another sweet look at partnerships. Uh, we were fortunate, uh, was meeting with Jane Anderson, uh, heads up, Asheville Independent Restaurant Association, and she was just mentioning some of their challenges, and it was very exciting to know that Romantic Asheville could play a part in raising the consciousness of who's open, what, how they're serving, are they outside, do they have heaters, and we're doing all that, and that's a beautiful partnership that, at the end of all this, those restaurants that are here, they're here, and we, we feel we have a hand in that. I love it. Well, thank you, Mark, for for sharing all of that. It makes me feel good. It, I know, gives um, a sense of hope. And also, it is such a great site for anybody coming to Western North Carolina to find out all there is to see and do. Thank you again. Thank you, Marilyn, for having me. Love your show. And I look forward to hearing many more episodes. Thank you, Mark. Listen, these days you might think traveling can be even more stressful and complicated than usual. For anyone beginning to consider traveling again, rest assured that leading airports are finding creative and safe ways to comfort and care for their guests. Find out how airports operate from the ground up with Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport. Coming up next, stay tuned. Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe, along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back In to Speaking words, of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. 
Did you know the United States has one of the world's most extensive aviation systems with almost 20,000 small, medium, and large airports? You know, in many ways, an airport operates like a small city. You have a governing body that provides strategic direction and oversees day-to-day management. You've got waste removal crews collecting trash from the buildings and the airplanes. You've got your police and fire squads to protect life and property. And then there's various municipal-like departments that handle administrative duties, ranging from HR to PR to legal and finance. And on top of all of that, airports must also provide the resources necessary to care for an entire fleet of commercial aircraft. Airlines need space for airplanes, facilities for routine maintenance, jet fuel, and places for passengers and flight crews while they're on the ground. Now, you throw in security and health concerns as well as varying weather patterns, and you can see why you would need strong leadership and organizational skills as well as excellent communication and interpersonal skills like Tina Kinsey of the Asheville Regional Airport, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development. I can tell you her position is not one for sissies. Tina, how are you this week? <laughs> well, I'm great. I don't know that I've ever had an introduction quite like that before. I like it. Well, that's how I see you over there. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, and I see you I see you in the paper and on TV and there's always so much going on and uh, the information is so critically important because what I was saying with all of these components, it is like a small city. It's like you're the mayor. Well, it's it's really you you hit the nail on the head. It is like our own confined city in a way. Um, there is a lot happening at an airport that so many people just have no idea about, uh, you know, because when you're tra- a traveler and you come to the airport, you're pretty singularly focused on your goal. But there's a lot that's going on to make sure you can achieve that goal. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on, because we have been having a dialogue about the changes this year and the protocols and the new the new guidelines and there's so much more let's talk a little bit about just the airport in general when you get in the airport you park your car you come in and you're in a terminal tell us a little bit about what that terminal does So an airport, you know, um, we're the managers of the airport and what that means. What do we manage? Well, part of it is the parking facilities and the building where people need to be in order to do their business at the airport. So a commercial airport terminal building is where, of course, the passengers come um, to Uh, check in, get their tickets, go through security screening, have a place to wait to board an aircraft. Um, We have to have, you know, services for everyone. So we do have food and beverage offerings, restrooms, and lots of other niceties. There are a lot of amenities that airports can offer to make that time that you spend in the terminal as pleasant as possible. So, you know, we've got an art gallery and we've got a business center and big windows so you can look out and see the airplanes. Um, And of course, the restaurants and bar, you know, those kinds of things. Some airports have 
lots of other types of amenities. Larger airports may have yoga studios or movie theaters or airline clubs where you can go in and have an even more comfortable and private experience waiting for your airplane. And some some bigger airports have essentially little shopping malls or food courts, you know what I mean? So, so really it's all about making that journey as pleasant and efficient as possible. Well, I know people who sometimes plan out their trips just so they have a layover at an airport and have the, the, the time to just kind of hang out and enjoy being at the airport. So obviously that's an important part. Let's talk a little bit about the safety and security, because that's something everybody's always wanting to know what's going on in the background. Sure. So passengers may think about the security screening that they go through with the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA. And that's certainly a part of making sure air travel is safe. But also, uh, I don't know if many people know, but at the airport, at Asheville Regional Airport, we've and many others, we have a 24-7 police and fire service uh, right here at the airport. It's our Department of Public Safety. And we have officers who are highly trained, sworn law enforcement officers and, and firefighters. Uh, they have uh, EMT abilities. And they are here to respond to any issue that would require their service on the airport property. And so, you know, it, that's, that's another level of safety. And the firefighting piece of that really is focused on aircraft fire and rescue. So they are especially trained to respond to any kind of incident on the airfield that might involve involve an aircraft. So, you know, that requires specialized training and ongoing training and skills and dedication. And we're so proud of that team. Absolutely. Well, that makes us feel as passengers going to the airport, knowing that you've got 24-hour seven-day-a-week services like this makes, I think, makes people feel a lot safer knowing that that is all available. And let's just talk for a minute about the management, because like I was saying, there's a lot of, you've got all of these different kind of services within the the makeup of how the airport is set up. How does that work? Well, uh, you mentioned that we have a governing board, uh, and we do, and in our community, um, we, it's made up of seven people. They are their positions are made up based upon state legislation. So some are appointed by the city of Asheville, some by Buncombe County, uh, some by Henderson County, uh, and then an at-large member appointed by the the board. And so we've got regional representation. And so they they take a look at big strategic issues, kind of that 50,000 foot view of what's happening at the airport. And then our leader here in management is our executive director, and he reports directly to that board, but he is setting the course here at the airport for his team so that we stay focused on strategic goals and stay connected to the region and the community and 
you know, what the needs of the airport and the community are, and we forge ahead. So it's a strategic focus all the way to the daily operational issues and management that need to happen at an airport. So yes, we we look administratively at things. We have to have a strong finance plan. We've got a finance director. We have an operations department that is really focused on the day-to-day operations of the airfield and the terminal. And, and we have a maintenance department, housekeeping, accounting, very important. We have a human resources department, information technology, marketing, public relations, guest services, lots of different team members who have very specific areas of expertise to keep things running. Well, I want to give a big shout out to all of you because keeping that airport open, keeping it safe for all of us is a big job. And Tina, you've got some good news today. Throw that out there. <laughs> well, yes, we, we've been very busy already today celebrating, which feels so good right now in this crazy year of 2020. One of our airline partners, Allegiant, announced a new nonstop route to Las Vegas out of Asheville. And this is pretty historic because it is the farthest west nonstop destination we have ever had operate out of Asheville. And it's one of Allegiant's longest flights in their entire system. So, you know, it speaks to their commitment to our region and just how successful they can be. And it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Wow. Well, congratulations. And Tina, tell us how we can get more information, find out about the new flight, see what you've got going on over there. Sure. So what you need to do is log on to flyavl.com and uh, all the information you need is easily found on our website and you can connect with us there. And we're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, very easy to find us through the website. Well, we will definitely keep in touch and, and I would love to talk more about what's going on at the airport and uh, some of the other areas that we didn't get a chance to touch on when we talk next week. Okay, sounds awesome. Thanks, Marilyn. Thank you, Tina. Well, thank you to Tina, and thanks to Larry and Mark for joining us today on Speaking of Travel. You know, I like to remember that every new week is an opportunity to do something really amazing. Every one of those blank days represents a new chance to make your life the best possible life ever. So as you go out to begin a new week, ask yourself if you're doing what you really want to do and if you're living your best life possible. You know, sometimes you have to look back and address the choices you made in the past and maybe change the choices you make in the future. Find your voice. Don't hold back. Speak up with honesty and be upfront. Honesty is the cornerstone. And when you make this choice, you'll be more confident. So begin to eliminate what you don't need anymore and bring only the essentials to the table. This will help simplify your life and help you focus on what's important. Then you can really build the life you want. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. 